0: Well, welcome to the last week of a series that we've been calling Choose 2008. Welcome to our site down at 642 is going to be uh, watching this on the screen. But over the next few weeks, you're going to be asked to make some choices. You're going to be asked to to go into a voting booth and make a choice. Uh, You might be asked in many other ways to make choices. And what we've been talking about over the last several weeks are choices that carry way more weight than that one that have much more of an impact on our daily lives than the one you might make even in the voting booth. It's a choice whether or not to follow God. A choice whether or not to have this cornerstone choice in our life that we run all other choices through. Everything that we do through one thing. In fact, God offers that choice to every person. If you're here and you you don't know Christ, you don't know what it means to have a relationship with God, that choice is offered to you. If you're here and you've known Christ and kind of gotten away from that relationship, that choice is still offered to you. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30, it's in those Bibles that uh, we handed out earlier, or you can read along on the screen. Deuteronomy chapter 30, here's what God has to say about choices. Verse 11, this command I'm giving you today is not too difficult For you to understand. And it's not beyond your reach. It's not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask, Who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey? It's not kept beyond the sea so far that you must ask, Who will cross the sea and bring it to us so we can hear it and obey? No, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death. Between prosperity and disaster. See, with God, there's always a choice. He never leaves us choiceless. He never leaves us without answers. He never leaves us with nowhere to go. There's always a choice when you're dealing with God. The issue is sometimes we make really good choices, and sometimes. We make really bad choices. Anybody never make a bad choice in here? Anybody? Okay, so we're all in the same boat, all on the same page. We all goof up sometimes. We all make bad choices. So what happens? That's why we started this whole series, because choices are so important. In fact, fact, choices I make now have the potential to change the trajectory of my life. And God says, it's pretty simple. I've not made it some riddle that you have to figure out. I've not made it something that you can't find or you'll never attain. I haven't done that. I've set before you a clear choice, and it's pretty simple. You can choose me, and your life's going to go one way. You cannot choose me, and your life is going to go another way. And so over the last several weeks, we've talked about different choices that we all make. And how we can be equipped to make better choices. And we've gone through different parts of Scripture, different stories in Scripture about how we can make better choices. If you're here for the first time today, we're, we're like I said, in the last part of this series. And I began this whole series talking about how God asks us to make this one choice. And when we make this choice, when we weigh all the options, that's what the word choose means in the Old Testament. It just kind of means weigh the options and kind of look at everything and then make your choice. When we make that choice, it determines how we make other choices. For example, if you remember, if you make the choice that you're going to be a person that's fit and in shape, stay at your fighting weight, look in the mirror and feel good about yourself kind of person, then that's going to determine other choices in your life. That's going to determine what you eat. That's going to determine how many you know, Krispy Kremes you grab on the way in. That's going to determine how much exercising you do during the week. That's going to determine how you act when you say, I'm a person who wants to be in shape. So you make that, that defining choice and say, that's me. I'm the person in shape and I'm going to, I'm going to get down to my fight weight. I'm going to look great. But what happens? Krispy Kremes exist. McDonald's exist. That vanilla ice cream at, at, at like Coldstone. Oh my gosh, you know, all that stuff exists. So it's easy to get off track. And you make one little decision and another little decision and another. And before you know it, you thought you were going this way and you've made little decision after little decision and you end up all the way, way off track to where you look in the mirror and think, what in the world happened? This was not the plans I had. And then when it comes to our choice about life, our choice about God, when we make the choice, like in the book of Joshua that I read the first week, when he says, choose this day who you're going to serve. And when we make that choice to get off the balance beam and fully serve and fully choose God, that changes. When we make that choice to say, God's the way, that's, that's who's going to determine what my life looks like. That's who's going to determine the way I make decisions. When we make that choice, that determines a lot of things in our life already. When I make this choice, and that's the cornerstone choice in my life, that determines how I make decisions. That, in, in, in a large way, determines the kind of husband I am. It determines the way I am, how I act as a father. It determines the way I do business deals. It determines the way I treat employees or employer. Because every choice I have to make, I go back to this one choice and say, I chose God. And because I did, that's going to determine a lot of other choices in my life. You know, all of us have walked in here today dealing with something, something we have to choose, either go this way or go that way. And we're standing maybe on a balance beam trying to figure out, and we don't have time in a four- or five-week series to go through every possible choice that somebody could make. But really, if you, if you listed them all, if I had the time to just start down here and we just went up the aisle and I said, what's your choice, what's your choice, and I listed them up here, they would fall into several different categories. I'm going to talk about three of them today. There are people here today, you walked in today dealing with a giant in your life, dealing with something big, dealing with something that you're not sure what you're going to do, Because you feel like whether it's debt, whether it's relationship, business, money, you feel like it's such a giant in your life, you are never going to be able to get past it. And you've got a choice to make. Are you going to let it defeat you? Are you going to defeat it? That's your choice. Some of you sit in here today with a huge opportunity in front of you, something big. Maybe a business opportunity or finally that date you've been waiting on forever. He finally asked you out. And you've waited, and, and it's this huge opportunity, but there's a little something inside of you that's just saying, mm, I am not sure if this is the way to go. It may look like this great opportunity to everybody else, but there's something about it that I'm just unsure. I just don't, I just don't know. And some of you are about to make choices, or maybe just a choice, that's going to change the entire direction of your life. You're about to make a choice because you're standing on the edge of doing something that you thought you would never do. And you're about to take that step over the edge and it's going to change the trajectory of your life. I think every choice that we could walk in here dealing with can be covered from one of those categories. Remember that there's three questions we need to ask ourselves if we're wanting to lessen the consequences of our choices, or we're wanting to make better choices. Those three questions are, in light, of my commitment, in light of the commitments I've made, what is the right choice? In light of my current circumstances, what is the wise choice? In light of my future dreams and God's promises, what is the wise choice? If you ask those three questions... When you're standing at a crossroads and you don't know where to go, it's going to help you make better choices. You can even retroactively ask those questions and decisions you've made in the past, and I believe it'll lessen the consequences you're dealing with because you chose against what you knew was right. So write those down. Put them on your dashboard. Put them on your mirror in your bathroom. And remember, in light of what's going on in my life, what's the wise choice? In light of the commitments I've made, what's the wise choice? In light of the promises of God, what's the wise choice that I need to make? Because if we're going to run our life through this one cornerstone choice, this one choice that says, I'm going to get off the balance beam. I'm going to let all of my decisions go through this one thing that's going to help determine the kind of person I am, the way I'm a father, the way I'm a husband, the way I'm an employer, employee. If, if I'm going to do this, you know what will happen? If you start to run your choices through that, then it's going to lead you to the life Jesus Christ promised. In the New Testament, in the book of John, chapter 10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. So choices made based on this cornerstone choice leads you to the full life that God promised but there's a big problem we're screw-ups we make mistakes i mean if you didn't make mis- if you don't make mistakes you have you've have happened into the wrong church today we we are a, a group of mistake-filled people if you're looking for a perfect pastor a perfect staff perfect worship leader perfect people that go to church keep looking And you've heard me say before, if you're perfect, don't come back because you're going to mess up what we got going. (laughs) So we make mistakes. We goof up. This is how I want all my choices to go. Everything I wanted, I decide I wanted to go through here, but it doesn't always do that. So I get off track. And if I continue to make tracks, the cumulative effect over time is my life is not full. My life ends up being empty. And the first week I told you how to get from that from that empty life to that full life, and that is through Jesus Christ, and He will come and get you in your empty life and give you a full life. Well, today I want to talk to you about a guy in Scripture who made some really difficult choices. Some were really good, and one was really bad. His name's David. You can read about him in the Old Testament and in, in the books of First and 2 Samuel, the books of, book of First and 2 Kings. If you ever read the Psalms, David is the guy that wrote most of those. He was a harpist. That was like being a guitar player, you know, 4,000 years ago. I mean, the guy, well, he could jam on the harp. And he wrote these things about God. But at a very young age, David was anointed, which means he was called by God to be the king of Israel. And even when his dad didn't see it, his, his brothers didn't see it, David was a guy that God peered into his heart at a very young age and said, this is the person who needs to be king. Now, there was already a king of Israel at the time. His name was Saul. There's two Sauls you might read about in the Bible. There's one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. I'm talking about the Saul in the Old Testament, who was the king of Israel. And you can, I'm going to pick up the story at a time when King Saul was at war. David was still a little boy, maybe 12 or 13 years old. And Saul was out on the battlefield fighting this group of people known as the Philistines. David's brothers were soldiers in Saul's army. And this little guy, David, he wasn't big enough to fight, but David was big enough to carry bread and water and food supplies out to the front lines. So David goes out one day to the front lines, and as he's walking along, he notices nobody's fighting. Everybody's just kind of chilling in their tents. What's going on? And as he walks through the camp, he begins to hear somebody yelling. And he goes out and he hears this guy named Goliath. Even people who have never read the Bible have heard the story of David and Goliath. You know, it's a true story, and it really happened. And David hears Goliath yelling all of these insults towards the Israelite army, and what Goliath is saying, now, Goliath is nine feet tall, huge. I mean, it would be like, I mean, David and Goliath, because they're getting ready to go up to bed. It would be like, when David said, I want to take care of Goliath, I want to take him out, because... Goliath was saying to the army, if you come and defeat me, we'll be your subjects. But if I defeat you, uh, you'll be our subjects. Send one man out, I'll go at him one-on-one, and we'll see what happens. He was confident, he was cocky, he was yelling insults about God, yelling insults about the nation of Israel. And it burned David up. But David was a little boy, and Goliath is nine feet tall. It would be like getting the tallest person in here and bringing him down on stage and go up against, like, Eddie, you know, our worship leader. You know, no offense, Eddie. It wouldn't be a fair fight. The little guy against the big guy. Odds are the big guy is going to win. But David sees this. He called him an uncircumcised Philistine yelling insults at the army of God. And David says, I will go get him. Give me a spear. Give me something. I'll go take care of this guy. You bunch of pansy soldiers are over here shaking in your boots, acting like a bunch of sissies. I'm going to go out and kill that guy. And they're all like, come on, you're a little boy. You can't do that. You're small. David says, well, let me tell you about a really big God. Let me tell you what, what, a, what a really big God did for me. David tells a story about tending his father's sheep and a bear coming and taking one of those sheep and heading off with it. David chased the bear down and beat the bear with a club and killed it. And he said, then a, then a lion came, took one of the sheep, carried it away, I chased the lion down, I pried its jaws open and I took the sheep out of its mouth and I killed it right there. And he goes on to say in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So when David began to burn with anger and he began to see this giant affecting his whole country, affecting his family. He had a choice. He could run away or he could face it. It's his choice. He's going to run away from this giant or he's going to face him. And you know it's interesting? The first thing David did, he didn't start sizing up Goliath. He started evaluating Goliath against the past faithfulness of God. He began to look into his past and think, okay, I can't beat a lion, I can't beat a bear, I can't beat this... uh, giant but uh, you know God can do some amazing things and he began to look in his past and see how God had delivered him time after time and that gave him the courage to face the giant and I'm sure some of you are sitting here today facing some kind of a giant thinking I just can't get past this is gone it's finished the relationship is over the spark's not there anymore something's wrong and this is just too big of a thing for us to be able to get past in our life well if you've ever felt the faithfulness of God in the past and I hope everybody here has if you're living and breathing today trust me God is faithful then look at the past and how God has been faithful to you even look how he's been faithful to others or how he's been faithful to David you can defeat that giant just like David did. See, there was a difference in the king and David. This is why David was fit to be king and the other guy wasn't. See, the king looked at, the, looked at Goliath and he saw a giant. David looked at Goliath and he saw an opportunity for God to work. He saw an opportunity for God to come in and display his power. You need to write this down. Every challenge in my life is an opportunity For God to work. Every challenge I face is just another opportunity for God to display His power and His work in my life. So, what's a giant in your life? You might be thinking, yeah, but you don't understand. You don't understand what I'm going through. Maybe I don't, but I understand that little boys don't kill giants. A 12 year old boy doesn't kill a nine foot man with just a slingshot and a rock but you insert the power of God in there and all of a sudden a 12-year-old boy can kill a giant with just a slingshot and a rock. So whatever's going on in your life, no matter how, how big you think it is, how impossible you think it is, all you need to do is insert the power of God and it'll change. And you can choose to defeat it instead of running from it. See, when David saw the giant, he didn't think, oh my goodness, no, I'd be scared too, guys. I don't blame you. Telling his big brothers, Hey, I would stay in the tent. David went back to this choice he made a long time ago. And that choice determined how he was going to act. That choice determined how he was going to treat, when, how he was going to act and how he was going to treat giants in his life. When things got difficult, when things got down, when things looked like there was no answer, David went back to this choice and said, Yep, there's an answer. And the answer is inserting the power of God into what we're doing. So David kills Goliath, and then he goes on to work for the king, King Saul. And David is so talented, so gifted, that the king gets jealous. He begins to get intimidated. So David's in in the room one day jamming on the harp, and the king comes in, throws a spear at him, misses him, and David figures out, I better hit the road. So he goes into exile, he starts running, some people go with him, and then King Saul from then on is after him trying to kill him. And that moves us to the next episode in David's life. In 1 Samuel 24, beginning in verse 1, it says, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David's in the desert in in Gedi. Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and this is the only place, I know this is in the Bible, And Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I'll give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. So here's David on the run from King Saul. And he goes back into this cave. And his guys are thinking, let's get up in that cave because nobody will find us there. We'll get back there. Saul won't find us. There's 3,000 people looking for just a few You guys that are running around with David and he's coming to kill us let's go up there and hide and then Saul's coming by and I guess he gets like guys I gotta have a potty break you know could you just kind of stop the caravan here let everybody know the king's got to use the bathroom so you know he's got some dignity he goes up into the cave he disrobes and he's in the most vulnerable possible position a person could be in he's not thinking about anything else and here's David the person he's trying to kill hidden in the dark in the back of this cave can you imagine How David's guys must have been thinking and what David must have been thinking. God, thank you. How much easier can it be? Because I'll never be free or I'll never be king until I kill him. And here he is, disrobed, in a very vulnerable position. I've got a spear. He doesn't. I'm killing him. Could you just imagine all those guys saying, David, this is the chance. This is what you've been waiting for. This is an opportunity of a lifetime. God must be on your side because look what he's provided go kill him. And David must have been weighing the options back and forth. Should I take this opportunity? Should I not take this opportunity? Because it says David goes up and cuts off a piece of his robe. I don't know what that means, but he snuck up, he cut it off, and he felt so guilty about it. He ended up saying, look, I, I can't do it. I cannot kill him. Because David, just like when he faced the giant, he went back to this choice to do what was right. This choice to follow God at all costs, this choice. And it, he ran it through that filter and all of a sudden he remembered it's wrong to kill people. I mean, most people already know that, but David's like, you know, it's wrong to murder. And it's definitely against the law to kill the king. But David could have solved all of his problems right there with the snap of a finger because as soon as he killed Saul and walked, cut his head off probably and walked out holding his head up, all those, all those soldiers would have bowed at David's feet and he would have been king and no longer would Saul have been after David. But David made a choice to follow God and do what was right. In spite of what opportunities might look like. In spite of what things might look like on the surface, David made a choice to run everything through this filter of what would God want. And I know some of you are sitting here today with opportunities and you're thinking this looks like the opportunity of a lifetime. This looks like the perfect investment. Well, maybe not today, but this looks like the perfect investment, this looks like the perfect place to live, the perfect job, and opportunities abound, and you're trying to figure out, but there's something inside that just won't won't let it go and won't stop just kind of nagging at you. You know, just because something looks like a God thing and feels like a God thing does not mean it is a God thing. You know, early on in the life of this church, I made a decision. We are never going to put buildings before people. We're never going to invest more in a building and put that before we invest in people. And we've had opportunity after opportunity come our way to to have a building, you know, to just walk in and turn on the lights and have church. You know, I was like, opportunity. And a few months ago, this opportunity came our way, huge opportunity. And and I, I prayed about it. And I was like, this looks perfect, Perfect location for one of our sites, perfect, perfect place in the community, perfect place for people to drive by and see Life Point Church out there on the street corner. Wouldn't that be awesome? God, thank you. You're providing something. And then and then, I even went to an architect and we talked. And then I went to an artist and she drew up what the, the place would look like when it became Life Point Church and stopped being what it was being. And and this was a God thing. Because we prayed about it. And I knew that God was providing. I just knew it. But then we got to talking about price. And then I had a decision to make. And the decision was, am I going to go with what I chose way back to say, you know what? We're not putting debt before people. Yeah, debt may have to come eventually, but it'll never be in an unmanageable form. And as the millions started to rise, and we were knocking on the door of like $8 million, I had to say... Ah, we can't do it, we can't proceed. And a real estate agent broker is going, what do you mean, this is a deal, this is a deal, this is a great price. I said, yeah, but I committed, I'm not going to get my church in a lot of debt because we put people for brick and mortar and buildings and all those things. And he shook his head and he couldn't believe it, but it all went through. Now, if you've if you got six or eight million bucks, come talk to me afterwards and you <laughs> got something you want to do with it. But, and I can I can tell you all about it, I'll take it, but when I ran that through, that cornerstone choice of we are not going to be saddled with unmanageable debt that prevents us from touching people's lives with the message of Jesus Christ, the answer was no. Just because something looks like a God thing and feels like a God thing does not mean it's a God thing. You know, a lot of marriages have ended because somebody followed a God thing. A lot of people are sitting in mountains and mountains of debt because... They followed a God thing. And David could have made the decision to kill the king. And it would have changed his life forever. It would have been different because that wasn't God's plan. And he would have been going against that cornerstone choice he made years before. Another episode in in the life of David where he didn't make a good choice. It's found in the book of 2 Samuel. chapter 11 verse 1 it says in the springtime when kings go off to war David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army but David remained in Jerusalem one evening David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace from the roof he saw a woman bathing the woman was beautiful and David sent someone to find out about her then David sent his messengers to get her she came to him and he slept with her Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. Bad choice. What happened? What did David do? What a boneheaded decision. I mean, that rivals any political scandal you can find on the news today. The king of Israel who has walked with God and made great decision after great decision, always went back to this, all of a sudden finds himself on a rooftop making a boneheaded decision that's going to affect his life in a negative way and send it off in a trajectory that's going to cause him to deal with consequences of that action until the day he died. What was he thinking? What was his problem? The problem was David was not where he was supposed to be kings go off to war in the spring he also wasn't where he was supposed to be because if you know anything about the architecture in that time and in that part of the world all houses were flat on the top and then David's house was the palace so it would have been higher than any other house so when David is out that evening looking and walking around and if you look the way palaces are built, there's this inner court, and then there's this way, way, way outer court the king never goes to because he don't want anybody to, you know, throw a javelin or something and kill him. So so he stays in this inner court, and then there's this area that he's never supposed to go to. Well, in order for him to have seen over the edge, whoa, in order for him to have seen up oh, that would have been funny, wouldn't it? In order for him to have seen over the edge. He would have had to stand out on the ledge and look over and look down at these houses because it's taller than everybody else's. So think about this. Here's David, act, the king of Israel, acting like a peeping tom, looking over the edge of the ledge. And as he looked over the edge, he saw this woman and he was like, "Hmm." and he brings her up and you know what happened. When I'm not where I'm supposed to be, it's easier to choose what I'm not supposed to choose. See, a lot of us do that, and you might be doing that right now. You're standing right up on the edge where you're not supposed to be, and one more step, you plummet to your death. One more step, and your life goes off in a direction you never intended. One more decision, and you're going to end up with a mile of regret. My family and I have visited the Grand Canyon several times. I love that area of the country and going out there. And I've noticed when you're standing near the edge of the Grand Canyon, they have safety rails. And, and there's a reason for that, and I'll tell you about that later. But they have safety rails at the edge of these ledges because you, you don't want people to fall hundreds of feet. But what's interesting is they don't put the, the safety rail right there on the edge. That's not where they put it. They put that, that safety rail back several feet because you know why? People aren't smart. Somebody is going to step over the rail to get a little closer somebody's going to turn around and say, I'm going to sit on the rail, you take my picture. And if the rail is far enough back and they fall, it might hurt, it might bloody their nose or cut their head open, but they're not going to plummet to their death. That's the way it is in our life. If you were the enemy, where would you put the line? Would you put it where you could see it out there, where you could see what was right and what was wrong? Or would you put it where by the time you even ask where's the line and where's too far, you've already crossed it? So it's valuable to put up barriers in your life and railings in your life to keep you off of the ledge. And if David had done that, he would have never seen Bathsheba taking a bath. He would have never lusted for her. He would have never called him to her room and slept with her and ended up having to do this huge political cover up better than anyone I've ever seen today. He called in her husband because so, he figured, well, she's pregnant. I'll get her, her husband in off of the battlefield. You know, they haven't been together for a while, so you know what's going to happen. And she'll, get, she'll still be pregnant, and, and everybody think it's his. And that ends up not working out. So David has him killed on, killed on the battlefield. All because he couldn't stay off the ledge. And I guarantee there's somebody in here that you might even think I'm reading your email, but I'm not. But you're standing on the edge and you're about to step over. And once you step over, it's going to send you off in a direction just like it did David to where there's always redemption, there's always forgiveness, but it's going to send you down a road with miles and miles of regret and consequences. And David dealt with some pretty significant consequences. For the rest of his life. The good news is. That choice didn't define David. David could still be the man after God's own heart. Even though he stepped over the ledge. Made mistakes and was living with consequences. David was still God's man. David still wrote all those Psalms you can read. About the character and the quality. And the way you can have a relationship with God. David still made a difference in the world. But I bet he laid in his bed at night thinking oh if I would have just stayed back from the ledge what could my life have looked like so if you're on the ledge do this with me just take a big step back you're still going to have the same temptations and deal with the same stuff of course but a fall from back here is not nearly as fatal as a fall when you're standing on the edge So today, if you're facing a giant you think is too big, you need to remember God is faithful. If you're looking at an opportunity that seems to be God-sized and seems to be just the right thing in your life, remember just because it looks like a God-opportunity doesn't mean it is. Size it up against God's will. If you're walking on the edge about to make a choice that's going to change the trajectory of your life, remember this choice, the choice It'll take you to the full life and take a step back. You know, over the last few weeks, we couldn't possibly have covered every choice, but we covered a lot. And we had that website, choose2008.org, and dozens and dozens of people went to this website and, and listed choices they had made. Some were a little trivial, some were very serious, some were tragic, but people still shared openly, some anonymous, some put their names about choices. I want to close this series with you hearing what some of those people had to say. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for the way you allow us to make uh, choices. And God, even when we mess up, even when we uh, goof up and make mistakes, God, we're thankful that there's always forgiveness, there's always redemption, and there's always a way to turn it around. God, I pray for people today who are dealing with giants and opportunities and dealing with temptations that's got them out on the edge, I pray that you would touch their hearts today. And as they hear these choices read, it gives them the courage to take a step back. It gives them the courage to evaluate that opportunity. And it gives them the courage to stand up against that giant and say, you will not defeat me by the power of God. You won't defeat me. Guys, we hear these choices. We praise you for the people who... Uh, Had the courage to share what was going on in their life. I pray this in Jesus' name.